Amen. Amen. All right, we're there in Numbers chapter number five. And of course, on Sunday nights, we are going through a study in the book of Numbers, a chapter-by-chapter study in the book of Numbers. And uh, tonight, we're calling it our Wilderness Wanderings. And of course, the book of Numbers is the book that gives us the wandering of the children of Israel through the wilderness. We haven't actually started their wandering yet in the first 10 chapters or so is uh, them preparing to begin this journey. And uh, tonight we find ourselves in a very peculiar chapter in uh, Numbers chapter number 5. And I'll just go ahead and kind of give you the outline in advance if you'd like. For those of you taking notes on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write down some notes. And uh, I've outlined this chapter under maybe three different headings. Uh, The first one you could call cleanliness, and that is going to cover verses 1 through 4. The second you could call confession, and that'll cover verses 5 through 10. And the third you could call curses, and that'll cover verses 11 through 31. And uh, let's just go ahead and jump into it, verses 1 through 4 there, uh, this idea of cleanliness. In Numbers 5 and verse 1, the Bible says this, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper. And I want you to notice that they are going to be given instructions to remove certain people from the camp, to put out from the camp. Uh, Who do they put out? Of course, um, the Bible says here, every leper, leper, leprosy would be a a very contagious skin disease. And the lepers are being removed from the camp because of the fact that what they have is contagious. And then it says there in verse 2, and everyone that hath an issue... And the word issue is uh, kind of a generic term uh, that the Bible uses for uh, any sort of physical ailment that produces bodily fluids uh, to come out. And and this is what it's being referred to, anyone that has an issue, anyone that has some sort of a sickness or disease that is causing uh, a constant sort of bodily fluid to come out of their bodies, then they were to be removed out of the camp as well. And then the Bible says, and whosoever is defiled by the dead. And of course, uh, these all of these things have to do with cleanliness and spiritually uh, in any of these situations when somebody had a running issue or an issue where their body was producing any sorts of fluids, uh, then they would be considered unclean. A leper would be considered unclean. Somebody touching a defiled, being defiled by a body or t- touching the, a corpse uh, would be considered unclean. Verse 3, both male and female shall ye put out without the camp. The word without means outside of or out, out of the area. Without the camp shall ye put them that they defile not their camps in the midst whereof I dwell. And the children of Israel did so and put them away without the camp as the Lord spake unto Moses, so did the children of Israel. And uh, this is a, a very pretty, a pretty uh, uh, interesting chapter in regards to uh, the fact that God is just kind of giving them some laws and instructions and things uh, that they are supposed to do, practices that they are supposed to have uh, in the wilderness and as the children of Israel. And I'll, I'll just kind of go through this chapter by maybe ex- giving you an explanation and giving you an application and explaining what is being taught here and what is being said and then giving you some sort of application to go with it. And just to explain these verses, what we need to understand is that these people are being put out of the camp. Uh, they are being made to go outside or without the camp because of a physical ailment or a physical condition that 
could either potentially be contagious or that could make them, of course, they're already unclean, but could make other people unclean. So when they have uh, a situation where they either are, have like leprosy and it's contagious and other people could get leprosy, or they have some sort of a, an issue uh, with their health or a situation where they are now unclean and they could make other people unclean, this is uh, the instructions that was given that they should be put out of the camp, that they should, that they should be put without the camp. And, and I want you to understand uh, a, a little bit of this because of the fact that I'm not going to go into a lot of details because some of this is covered in other books and, and we've studied that in Leviticus and other places. But when, when these people were being put out of the camp, you know, sometimes people read that and they kind of get offended at God and they're like, that's not very nice. But you, you have to understand this was done for the good of everyone else uh, because of the fact that it could be a disease that could spread. It could be a disease that could cause other people to become uh, either sick or unclean. And you also need to understand, and again, I'm not going to go into all the details because I just don't have time to go through it, but when people were removed for the, uh, out of the camp, it wasn't always just like this life sentence. Now, sometimes it was, but sometimes people were removed out of the camp for just a short period of time. Uh, until they were clean. There are some instances in the Bible where maybe somebody uh, became unclean uh, as a result of a certain situation. They touched a, a dead body, and then they would be considered unclean until the sun went down on that day. So these people might be going out of the camp during for a short period of time while they're considered unclean uh, to, to wait it out until they are then considered clean. Or if you remember, uh, the Bible teaches in Leviticus regarding leprosy, and I'm not going to take the time to go through that chapter, but if you remember the fact that they would, maybe an individual would come to the priest, or honestly, probably what happened was that somebody was brought to the priest uh, because they thought that maybe they had leprosy, and the priest would examine them, and then they would go out of the camp for seven days, and then they would come back, and they would be re-examined, and if the leprosy grew, then they knew it was leprosy and they would go uh, and be unclean but if it didn't grow then they would realize it's not leprosy and then they would be allowed to come back in so sometimes people were put without the camp uh just for a time while they were being examined uh to see and and, and in that in leviticus when it teaches that you know they might go back and forth a, a few times as they're being examined um and until they can be pronounced unclean for some people it was this thing where they had leprosy and, and look, we love you and, and, and God bless you, but you have a disease that could spread to other people and, 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 and be, affect other people. So they had to be placed out of the camp indefinitely. Um, and they were not allowed to be, they were quarantined outside of, of, of the congregation. So there might be several reasons why this had to be done, but it had to be done for the greater good, had to be done for the sake of all the people. That's the explanation. I'll, let me quickly just kind of give you an application. And the application is this, that this is all, of course, a picture of sin. In Numbers chapter 5 and verse 3, if you notice it again, the Bible says, both male and female shall ye put out without the camp, shall ye put them. It says that they defile not their camps. See, they were taken out of the camp that they might not defile their camps. You say, why would God not want the camp to be defiled? Here's why, um, that, they would, that they defile not their camps in the midst, this is God speaking, in the midst whereof I dwell. See, God is telling them, I dwell 
in the midst of the camp. And if you remember the book of Numbers, as we were studying it, we've learned that the camp of the nation of Israel was divided in such a way where the tribes were dispersed around the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the uh, presence of God. So God was walking and God was uh, uh, in the camp of the nation of Israel. So these individuals had to be removed because there is a picture of sin. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you would, keep your place in Numbers, that's our text for tonight. But if you would, go to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, then 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Do me a favor, when you get to 1 Corinthians, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there, because we're going to leave it, and we're going to come back to it several times throughout the sermon tonight. We're going to go to 1 or 2 Corinthians. So I'd like you to be able to get there quickly, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And here's, here's a spiritual application. Sin spreads. And it defiles the entire camp. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 6. The Bible says, Your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And the idea is this. If you remember in Numbers 5, 3, he says that they defiled not their camp in the midst whereof I dwell. You say, why? Because a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And this is what the Bible is teaching us. When it comes to dealing with sin, we need to just remove it completely out of our lives because we can get this idea that, oh, it's just, it's just a little leaven. It, it's not a big deal. But the problem with sin is that it overtakes our lives. And it, it becomes this leaven that leavens everything. So God says, look, the best way to deal with it is to not play with it and just to put it without the camp. To get rid of it uh, completely. And we see this with the nation of Israel as well. When they enter the promised land, remember they were supposed to remove all the heathen out of the land. That again is a picture of the same thing. Allowing sin in our lives. If you remember, they came into the land to conquer the land. And they were told to remove all of the Canaanites and all of the Hivites and all of the different well, people that live there. But sometimes what the book of Judges tells us is that when they overpowered certain people, instead of removing them completely, they allowed them to stay there because their idea was, well, we overpower them and we can make them our servants. We can control them. And that's often what we think regarding sin. We think, I have this under control. I can control it. It won't get out of control. But what happened with the children of Israel what happens with leprosy, what happens with leaven is that it grows and those nations would grow and then you turn around and there uh, the nation of Israel had them under servitude and now the, the tables have flipped and they, the, the Hittites and the different uh, nations that were supposed to be removed, they've now grown to such a way that they are putting the nation of Israel into servitude. And again, that's what happens with sin. It leavens the whole lump and it ends up taking control of everything. So God says the best way to deal with it just to remove it out of the camp. Just get it out of the camp completely. Go keep your place there in 1 Corinthians. Go back to Numbers if you would. Because sin spreads and defiles the entire camp. And 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 this is a lesson that is often learned late and and learned at much expense that once the whole lump is leavened. You've got a much bigger and different problem. So it's better to deal with it and to just remove it completely. We must remove sin from the camp because of the fact that God dwells there. Notice again, Numbers 5, verse 2. Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper. 
Look at verse 3. Both male and female shall ye put without the camp, uh, shall ye put them, that they defile not their camp in the midst. Notice what he says, whereof I dwell. It's interesting because this is exactly what the Bible says about the camp of your body. If you can go back to 1 Corinthians, I asked you to keep your place there. We were in chapter 5. Just flip over to chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and look at verse 19. The Bible says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. See, the Bible says that your body, that my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. He dwells here. So just like the nation of Israel, the camp represented the fact that the nation of Israel had God dwelling in their midst, and because God was dwelling in their midst, they had to remove that which was undefiled, which was defiled and unclean. They had to remove it out of the camp and take it out without the camp. The Bible teaches that your body and my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and that God dwells there, so therefore we must also remove the sin out of the camp, because God dwells there. He says, whereof I dwell. Hebrew plays there in 1 Corinthians, uh, if you would. Go back to Numbers chapter 5. So we see this lesson on cleanliness, verses 1 through 4, where God says, look, there's some things you just got to get rid of. There's some things that they could hurt others, they, they could spread their, their defilements, and they need to be removed out of the camp. He says, whereof I dwell. Then in verses 5 through 10, we see this portion that I've entitled Confession. And in verse 5, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying... And I want you to notice that I, I didn't just divide this chapter up just how I wanted. Uh, it's, it's actually divided uh, for us uh, with the headings. If you look at verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying... If you look at verse 5, And the Lord spake unto uh, Moses, saying... If you look at verse 11, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying... So these, these cha- this chapter is actually divided into these sections. So the first section dealing in verses 1 through 4 has to do with removing that which is defiled and which is unclean out of the camp. Then verses 5 through 10, we have a different section and a different thing that is being dealt with. In verse 5, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, When a man or woman shall commit any sin, that men commit to do a trespass against the Lord. And that person be guilty. Now, here's what's very interesting about this, cha- this, this portion of Scripture. Is that what's about to be explained is what you are to do when you sin against another individual. And you hurt another individual. And he's going to give them the steps to take. That if I sin or offend or hurt someone else, that what it is that I'm supposed to do to make it right. What's interesting is that... When the, when the section begins, it says uh, that, that if uh, when a man or a woman shall commit any sin, that men commit to do a trespass against the Lord. So he says, the sin is against the Lord, but when you hurt and sin against somebody else, here's how to deal with it. And it's not the Bible trying to be confusing here, but it's this understanding that though we do sin against other human beings, and when we do that, we should make that right. Ultimately, all sin is against God. And, and we should never get this idea that, that, that what the passage is teaching us is don't get this idea that I sinned against God, so therefore I can hurt others and not make it up to them. But we should also not get this idea that I sinned against others and God doesn't care. 
Sin is always sin against God. And when we've hurt others, we should try to make it right with the others. And that's what's being taught in this passage. And that will help you understand when you see uh, David, for example, after he committed adultery with Bathsheba and had Uriah the Hittite uh, put to death, he, he confesses to God. He says, against thee only have I sinned. And you might look at that and say, well, that's not necessarily true. You had all these other sins. But what David is saying there is that sin is ultimately against God. God is the one who gave us his law. Sin is a transgression of the law. So all trespass is against the Lord. We need to acknowledge that, but we need to not just leave it there. When we sin against the Lord, if we happen to hurt others and sin against others in the process, then we are to make it right. Look at verse 7. Then they shall... And I want you to notice he's about to give us some steps here of what to do when you hurt others. Then they shall, here's step number one, confess their sin, which they have done. So they should tell the individual, look, I sinned against you. I'm sorry. That's the wrong thing. I should not have done that. That's step number one. But that's not the only step. Notice, and step two, he shall recompense his trespass with the principle thereof, and add unto it the fifth part thereof, and give it unto him against whom he hath trespassed. Now what's interesting is that this sounds a lot like other passages uh, in the uh, Pentateuch, in the writings of Moses, uh, and, and it is similar, but there's a little difference. I want you to notice, here God is telling Moses that when somebody sins against somebody else, that they are to confess their sin, which they have done. But if their sin or if their negligence has cost the other person something, you have destroyed something that belongs to somebody else. You have damaged something that belongs to somebody else. You have uh, taken actions or people under your authority have taken actions that cost somebody something financially. Then the Bible says that what you ought to do is to confess to them uh, your sin and, and seek forgiveness and all that. But that's not enough. You should also recompense his trespass with the principle thereof. You should try to make it right. You should try to replace it. You should try to pay for it. You should try to pay for what you cost them. And that's not even enough. Notice what he says. He shall recompense his trespass with the principle thereof and add unto it the fifth part thereof. What is that? The fifth part is 20%. You know, 100% divided by five is 20%. What the Bible says here, and what God is teaching is that if I take action that causes you, injures you in such a way, it costs you a tangible amount of money, then not only should I make that right and pay you for the principle thereof of that damage, but then I should also add 20% just as an inconvenience fee. Do you understand that? Because the Bible says, look, you say, what is being taught here? What is being taught is personal responsibility. Now, this is brought up in other passages in regards to stealing. That if somebody steals something from someone and it's found out, then they are to pay it back and they're supposed to add 20% to that as well. And that is true. But that's not necessarily the context here. Now, that is true and that is part of the Word of God. But here it's not necessarily that you sinned, that you stole something, it's that you sinned against someone. You did something that hurt them, that caused them a certain amount of pain. 
So you are to make it right, you are to pay it back, and you are to pay 20% above that. And obviously, in the world that you and I live in, you know, we have insurance and different things like that, so, so it's a, maybe a little different. But, but the point is this, like, let's say that I, I, I was driving recklessly and, and I, you know, being stupid, I, I, and I just ran into your fence. I just destroyed your fence, right? You know, Pastor Menace is coming over for dinner to your house, and I'm just being reckless and stupid. I just run into your fence, well, then what is Pastor Man supposed to do? Is he supposed to get out of his car and say, man, I am so sorry. I am sorry about this. What's for dinner? Is that, is that the right response? You know, the right response is this. I'm really sorry about this. Let me pay to have your fence replaced. How much is that going to cost? Oh, it's going to cost $3,000? It's going to cost $4,000? It's going to cost $5,000? Let me pay for that. But you know what the Bible actually says is that not only should I pay the $5,000, but then I should add 20%. What's 20% of $5,000? Anybody know? $1,000. That I should add 20% on top of that. You say, well, what? Why? You know why? Because I damaged their fence, and now they have to call someone. Right? Now they have to get a dump truck out here, get all that stuff picked up, put it in the dumpster, call somebody, get quotes. I just created an inconvenience for them. Do you understand that? So it's not enough to just pay them. I should even add on top of that 20% because, man, I just kind of messed up your life for the next few weeks. This is what the Bible teaches. You say, what is this? It's called personal responsibility. And, you know, it's very important that we as Christians live our life this way. You know, if you take action that causes somebody hurt, you should pay for it, and you should also have empathy for the fact that, man, I just messed up their day. I just caused, I just ruined their day. I cost them a bunch, you know, now they're going to have to call the hospital. Now they're going to have to call uh, a mechanic. Now they're going to have to call some, some contractor to come fix this. That's going to take time. This is what God is referring to. He says, look, you should pay the principal thereof and add 20%. And you know what? I would take this system over the American system any day of the week. Because you know what happens today in the, you know, supposedly justice for all of America, the injustice for all of America. You know what happens in America today? If somebody could steal your car, go, you know, completely destroy it, the cops find it, you know what they do? They're like, here's your car, sorry. And then that guy goes to prison or whatever, and you're just stuck. You're just stuck having to get your insurance to pay for it. And then, of course, your insurance goes up because of it. And you have to get, get a tow truck. And you have to do this. And you have to do that. That's not justice. You know what would be justice is that some punk 18-year-old uh, uh, saw your car and took it on some, um, some ride somewhere and destroyed it, that they have to go work and pay for that vehicle and then add 20% on top of that for inconveniencing you. That's actually justice and this is what the Bible is saying. Now, here's what's really interesting about this. Because I think we can all agree that if you destroy somebody's property, you should replace it. If you destroy, if you cause someone financially, you should pay for that cost. What's really interesting to me in this passage is the 20%. It's the add unto it the fifth part. 
It's the fact that God wants you to acknowledge the fact that I just inconvenienced you. I just caused you a little bit of a headache that you didn't have to have. So I'm going to pay that to you. Now, here's what's interesting about the 20%. The 20% is there as an inconvenience fee for the other person because you've inconvenienced them, right? And that's the only reason. Is that right? And the answer to that question is wrong. You know, the truth is this, that it's good for the person that got offended, that got hurt, to get that extra 20%. Yeah, 5,000 for the fence and 1,000 for me because I have to make a bunch of phone calls. But you know what the Bible is actually teaching here? That that 20% is actually good for the person who did the offending. It's good for them to have to pay that. You say, well, how do you get that? Well, look at verse 8. Numbers 5 and verse 8. But if the man have no kinsman. So now we're talking about a situation where somebody hurt someone and it injured them or it cost them financially. And this person is going to go confess their sin and he's going to pay the principle thereof and add unto it the fifth part. But the problem is that the individual they owe the money to is gone. Maybe they're dead. Or maybe they moved. So now what do you do? Do you get to say, score, I don't have to pay uh, the 20% anymore. Look at what the Bible says, verse 8. But if the man have no kinsman. So here's what he says. If, if the person you owe it to is gone, then he says, find the closest relative and give them the 20%. You say, what if there's no relative? Look at what he says, verse 8. But if the man have no kinsman to recompense the trespass unto, let the trespass be recompensed unto the Lord. You say, well, how do I give it to the Lord? Even to the priest. Here's what he says. If you injure someone, pay for it. And then give them 20% on top of that as an inconvenience fee. What if they're not around? Then find the closest relative and give it to them. What if I can't find a relative? He says, then give it to the preacher. (laughs) He says, give it to the Lord. Through the priest. You say, why? Well, look at it. Even to the priest, besides, so I'll be taking 20% um, transactions after the service. (laughs) Beside the ram of the atonement, whereof an atonement shall be made for him, verse 9, and every offering of all the holy things of the children of Israel, which they bring unto the priest, shall be his. So notice, God is saying, like, these 20%, just give them to the priest, and they're the priest. Like, it's like the priest is getting a bonus here. Shall be his. Look at verse 10. And every man's hollow thing shall be his. Whatsoever every man giveth the priest, it shall be his. Now you say, why does God take it this far? I mean, you want to give 20%, but the guy's gone. So then, so then you want me to find the nearest of kin, but they're gone. So then I have to take it to the priest? Why? Here's why. Because you having to pay 20%, it's good for you. Now it's good for them. Because you inconvenience them. But it's actually good for you because you know what it instills in you? Character and integrity and responsibility. And you know, I've, I've had situations like this in, in my life. I had a situation one time where two individuals, both of them together, created a situation that, that cost me hundreds of dollars. And I'm not saying cost the church hundreds of dollars. I'm saying cost me personally hundreds of dollars. Like I had to pay out of my account. And you know, in this situation, both individuals, once they realized what they'd done, came to me and apologized and said, Pastor, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about X, Y, and Z. But you know what's interesting? 
One said, I'm sorry. And, I, and of course, I forgave. I always forgive people when they ask for forgiveness. I said, I forgive you. And then it's just like they walk away. The other one came to me privately, obviously, separately, and said, Pastor, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about X, Y, and Z. I know it costs X amount of dollars. I'd like to pay for it. And, you know, here's the truth. I didn't take it because I'm a pastor, so I'm not going to take money from anybody. You know, I'm like, hey, it's fine. No problem. But you know what? Guess which one I had more respect for? Guess which one I was probably less resentful towards? There's something about, there's something good for you to not just say, I'm sorry, but to say, I'm sorry, and let me try to make it right. Let me try to pay you for it. Let me, in fact, let me add 20% because I've inconvenienced you now. This is what the Bible teaches, and let me tell you something, this is biblical Christianity. It's taking responsibility for your own actions. It's realizing that if you injure someone, if you hurt someone, if you cause somebody uh, to have to pay for something, if you inconvenience somebody, yes, you should confess. Yes, you should apologize. Yes, you should say, I'm sorry. But more than that, make it hurt. I'm sorry, and I want to pay for it. I'm sorry, and not only am I not going to pay for it, and here's an extra thousand, here's an extra 20% just for the inconvenience. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible teaches. So we have cleanliness, verses 1 through 4. We have confession, verses 5 through 10. Then let me give you the third heading, curses, verses 11 through 31. Now let me just say this before we get into this portion of the Bible, and let me, let me just say this. This, what we're about to read, what we already read before the service and we're about to read right now, this is one of the oddest portions of Scripture in the entire Bible, okay? This is, this is just kind of, obviously it's the Word of God, it's God's Word, we love it, praise the Lord for it, but it, it's an odd passage. And it has to do with a curse that is put on, on an individual. Look at verse 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, If any man's wife go aside and commit a trespass against him, and a man lie with her carnally, this is of course referring to adultery. Here you have a man's wife who she went aside, and another man lie with her carnally, verse 13. And if it be hid from the eyes of her husband, and be kept close, and she be defiled, and there be no witnesses against her, neither shall be taken with the manner, that phrase taken with the matter means taken in the act. Like you remember the woman caught in adultery in the New Testament? This, this woman has not been caught in, in adultery. There's no witnesses. There's no uh, evidence against her. So here we have a husband who suspects his wife of adultery, but he has no proof. There, there's, it's just something he kind of feels, and, and maybe he's putting things together, but there's no witnesses. She wasn't taken in the act. He just thinks this is the case. Now, here's what's interesting about this passage. Look at verse 14. And the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be defiled, or the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be not defiled. Now, I want you to notice that God is acknowledging here that this could be founded or unfounded. This could be a guy who's legitimately concerned about his wife committing adultery, and she has. Look at verse 14. And the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be defiled. But then there's another uh, situation, or 
if the spirit of jealousy come upon him and he be jealous of his wife and she be not defiled. You see that? So God is acknowledging the fact that just because somebody was taken through this ritual does not mean that they did anything wrong. They may have, they may not have. She may have been defiled. She may not have been defiled. But what happened here is that the spirit of jealousy came upon her husband. Now, keep your place there in Numbers and go to Exodus, if you would. Exodus chapter 34. If you go back, you have Numbers, Leviticus, Exodus, Exodus 34. And let's just talk about the word jealousy real quickly. I've taught you this in the past, but I just want to show it to you again. In our modern times, the word jealousy is always used in a negative context. People always speak of jealousy as a bad thing, like, oh, he's just a jealous husband or she's just a jealous wife. But I want you to understand that in the Bible, the term jealousy is always a positive thing. It's a good, it's right to be jealous. Now, there is a negative aspect to jealousy or what we would call jealousy in our modern times, but the Bible does not call that jealousy. The Bible calls that envy. So when we think of jealousy negatively, What the Bible would call that is envy. And then what the Bible calls jealous or jealousy is actually a positive thing. Let me just give you some examples. Exodus 34, look at verse 14. Exodus 34, 14. For thou shalt worship no other God for the Lord. Notice what the Bible says. Whose name is jealous is a jealous God. So jealousy is not a bad thing. The Bible says that the Lord's name is jealous and he is a jealous God. But it is a sin to be envious. Go to Proverbs real quickly. Proverbs 23. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely found the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you have the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 23, and look at verse 14. Proverbs 23 and verse 14. Proverbs 23, 14. Let not thine heart envy, notice the words, let not thine heart envy sinners. Let not thine heart envy sinners, But be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Go to Proverbs 24. Look at verse 1. Proverbs 24, verse 1. Be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them. So notice that the words jealousy and envy are similar, but one is good and one is bad. You say, what's the difference? Well, here's what you need to understand. Jealousy in the Bible is when someone is jealous over that which belongs to them. You understand that? Envy is when somebody is experiencing the same feeling as jealousy, but is towards something that does not belong to them. So for a husband to be jealous over his wife is, according to the Bible, an appropriate thing. For a wife to be jealous over her husband is an appropriate thing because that's her husband. That's his wife. She should want all his affection. He should want all her affection and her love and and all that comes with that. So being jealous over that which you have, which belongs to you, is appropriate, which is why the Bible says, for thou shalt, not, uh, thou shalt worship no other gods, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. God says, look, you are my people, you belong to me, so don't go worship some other God, because I'm jealous. But God is righteous in his jealousy because we belong to God. And a husband is righteous in his jealousy because his wife belongs to him. Or a wife is righteous in her jealousy because her husband belongs to her. But being envious is wanting or desiring something that does not belong to you. 
And that is sinful, to want somebody else's wife or somebody else's husband or somebody else's life, then that is a sinful thing. So in the Bible, jealousy is directed at something that belongs to you, that is righteously yours, and that is justified. And envy is directed at something that does not belong to you, and that is a sin. So I just want you to understand uh, the biblical teaching on that. Go back to Numbers chapter 5. And let's look at this, this story. Numbers 5 and verse 14, And the spirit of jealousy come upon him. So again, this is justified in the sense that a husband is, it is appropriate for a husband to have the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and it is appropriate for a wife to have the spirit of jealousy come upon her. And the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife. Notice, and she be defiled, so she's guilty in this case, or if the spirit of jealousy come upon him and she be jealous of his wife and she be not defiled, so she is not guilty uh, in this case. Here's what that tells us. That just because someone is, has a spirit of jealousy does not necessarily make them right. Now, oftentimes it can be right. But just because you, it could be that she's defiled or it could be that she's not defiled. So what are they supposed to do? Look at verse 15. Then shall the man bring his wife unto the priest. And he shall bring her offering for her the tenth part of an ephah of, bar, of barley meal. And he shall pour no oil upon it, nor frankincense thereon, for it is an offering of jealousy, an offering of memorial, bringing iniquity to remembrance. So, so the man, the husband, is supposed to bring the wife unto the priest, and then he's supposed to bring her the offering, uh, bring the offering that comes with it. Uh, and, and, and bring it to the priest. Look at verse 16. And the priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord, and the priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel, and of the dust that is in the floor of the tabernacle, the priest shall take and pour it into the water. So the priest was supposed to take holy water. Somebody's going to ask me where that came from, and of course, the Roman Catholic Church. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I don't know. You know, it's holy water. Well, the word holy means separated, so it's probably just water that's been set apart for this uh, purpose so he's supposed to take holy water in an earthen vessel so like a bowl or a cup made of earth and then he's supposed to pick up dust that is in the floor of the tabernacle and and put it into this water uh, and put it into the water so the priest is going to prepare this cup of holy water that is going to be cursed or another and later on it's called a bitter water look at verse 18 and the priest shall set the woman before the Lord and uncover the woman's head and put the offering of memorial in her hands, which is the jealousy offering. And the priest shall have in the hand the bitter water that causeth the curse. Now, actually, this last year at the Red Hawk Region uh, Conference, Pastor Burson actually preached the whole sermon out of uh, this chapter. And he actually brought this up. Uh, which I thought was interesting, here in Numbers 5.18, where it says that, that, the, that, that the priest, verse, the first part of verse 18, and the priest shall set the woman before the Lord and uncover the woman's head. Uncover the woman's head. You're there in Numbers 5.18. Go, go, go back to 1 Corinthians just real quickly. And, and let me show this to you. I recently uh, was preaching at a camping trip uh, for Pastor, Pastor Burzens. And I preached a sermon there. I, I preached it here first. If you remember, I preached a sermon called The Origins of Man. And it was really like, just kind of like a, 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 
educational type sermon. I read a lot from other secular books, and and we talked a lot about history. And um, so, but I pre and and, and it, when I preached it here, it was perfect. It was great, and I'm sure it was great there too. But I preached it there, and you know, it's kind of a camp setting, so it's just kind of a really intellectual type sermon in like a very like relaxed and camp setting. So after the sermon, I was joking with Pastor Burson's, and I'm like, hey, you know. I'm sorry, Adam, maybe, maybe this was not the right setting for this type of sermon. Maybe it was an odd sermon. And he's like, oh, you're just getting back at me for preaching that weird sermon at the Red Hot Preaching Conference about, you know, about the woman with the swelling or whatever. So anyway, I just thought that was funny. But when he preached that sermon, he, he brought this out, which I, this part I thought was very interesting. I'd never really seen it before. But where it says there in Numbers chapter 5, in verse 18, it says, um, and uncover the woman's head. And in... 1 Corinthians 11, the Bible tells us what that means to uncover the woman's head. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 4, the Bible says, Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. So here the Bible says that a man should not pray or prophesy with his head covered. Now, people often think that this is having to do with, like, the wearing of hats. And, and you'll have, like, Amish people or even nuns or, 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 or just black churches or whatever. They all kind of have different ways they do this, but they, they have some sort of head covering or they'll wear some sort of a church hat or they'll uh, put, you know, something over their head. And they get that uh, from this. I'm sure a lot of people do it and they don't realize it, but the teaching is coming from here, which is not correct. The Bible says, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonor this head. So the Bible says that a man should not have his head covered. Verse 5, but every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. So here the Bible says the men should not have their heads covered and women should have their heads covered. Their heads should not be uncovered. And this is, again, why they'll teach to put something on your head, put a hat on your head or bonnet or, or some sort of head covering. Notice the last part of verse 15. Well, just look at verse 15 again. But every woman that prayeth or prophesied with her head uncovered dishonored her head. Now, we got to ask the question, is this talking about wearing a church hat? Now, I'm not against you if you want to wear a church hat. I don't care if you wear a church hat or not. Uh, but, but is that what this is talking about? Is it talking about putting a bonnet on your head? Is it talking about a head covering? Well, look at the context. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. So he says, look, when a woman is praying or prophesying with her head uncovered, Paul says, then she might as well just shave her head. Now, if he's talking about a head covering, would that make any sense? Would it make any sense to say, look, if you're going to come to some black Baptist church where all the women wear church hats, but you're not going to show up in a church hat, then you might as well just shave your head. Does that make any sense? It doesn't. You say, well, why does he say shave your head? Here's why. Because the context of covering your head or uncovering your head doesn't have to do with putting something on your head. It has to do with the hair on your head. That's why he says if a woman is going to uncover her head, she might as well even all one as if she were shaven. Look at verse 6. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. Here's what he's saying. If she's not going to cover her head, then, then she might as well be, just be shorn. What does the word shorn mean? Shorn means to cut off. And to have your hair in the Bible, shorn is to have a haircut much like the haircut I've got on right now. Just, just kind of like, you know. I like this haircut because I don't have to comb my hair. I, don't, I can just get up and go, you know. And I've got a lot of white hairs because of all of you. So this <laughs> keeps it from being shown a lot, you know. 
So he says, for if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, here's what he's saying. He's, he's telling a woman, if you're going to uncover your head, then why don't you just go ahead and shave it? And a woman would respond and say, well, that's shameful. I don't want to shave my head. Well, he says, if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. He says, if you don't want to shave your head, then make sure your head is covered. Verse 7, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. So what is being taught here? What's being taught is this, that men should have short hair and women should have long hair. That's what's being taught here. And it says, if you don't want to have long hair, women, then just go ahead and shave it all off. And you say, I don't want to shave it off. Then, Then have it long. And just so you see the context, look at verse 14. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. So, you know, the Bible teaches that men should have short hair and women should have long hair. And by the way, this is why the unisex movement, the transgender movement, is trying to move us away from this where everybody just has the same haircut and everybody. But God says, I want there to be a difference between males and females. I want them to look differently. And look, sometimes I preach this and then people want to ask all sorts of questions. Like, you know, well, how long does it have to be? Or how short does it have to be? Look, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that. We, it's, this isn't the military. Like, it has to be like, uh, you know, half an inch off here. and cut. Look, I don't, I don't know. But here's what I will say, guys. If you got to ask the question, is my hair too long? If you got to ask the question, is my hair too long? It's too long. And, and if you got to ask the question, is it too short? Then it's too short. You know, you don't, we don't have to come up with all these rules like, oh, it has, well, you have to use the number two guard and the number three guard. But don't. Look, just if, if you got to ask the question, then there's a problem. And if anybody walks up to you and says, you got long hair, man, it's too long. And the idea is that God wants men to have long hair. Actually, good night. <laughs> Sorry, that's for when I preach at the other church. God wants men. I hurt, man, I hurt my neck. I don't know how some of you guys do that all day. God wants men to have short hair, and God wants uh, women to have long hair. I only bring all that up to say this, that the Bible calls a woman having short hair as having her head uncovered. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Excuse me, yeah, not Deuteronomy, Numbers chapter 5. I have like a concussion, I think. (laughs) Numbers 5, look at verse 18. And the priest shall set the woman before the Lord and uncover the woman's head. So when we compare spiritual with spiritual, what's going on here? The priest is going to give her a haircut. He's going to cut her hair, not shave it, but cut it short enough to where it would not lo- no longer be considered long. It would be considered short. He's going to uncover her head. What's going on here? What's going on here is that this event is going to be shameful for this woman either way. Because let's say, let's say she's guilty. Well, we're going to see it in a minute. Her belly's going to swell and her thigh's going to rot. But what if she's innocent? She still has to walk around with this haircut. So the entire community is going to know like, oh, her husband was suspecting her of something. The point is that th- this is going to be shameful uh, either way for this lady. Look at verse 19. 
Let's say she's guilty. What happens? Numbers 5.19. And the priest shall charge her by, the, by an oath and say unto the woman, If no man have lain with thee, and if thou hast not gone aside to uncleanness with another, instead of thy husband, be thou free from this bitter water that causeth the curse. But if thou hast gone aside to another, instead of thy husband, and if thou be defiled, and some men have lain with thee uh, beside thine husband, then the priest shall charge the woman with an oath of cursing, and the priest shall say unto the woman, The Lord make thee a curse and an oath among thy people, when the Lord doth make thy thigh rot, and thy belly to swell. Now, what does that mean? I don't know, and neither do you, I'm sure. But it does not sound good. Verse 22, and obviously this is supernatural, right? Because drinking, drinking water with dust in it is not going to make your thigh rot and your belly swell if you've been guilty of, of, of adultery. So this is obviously supernatural. God is doing this. Verse 22, And this water that causeth the curse shall go into thy bowels to make thy belly to swell and thy thigh to rot. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. And the priest shall write these curses in a book and he shall blot them out with the bitter water. And he shall cause the woman to drink the bitter water that causeth the curse. And the water that causeth the curse shall enter into her and become bitter. Then the priest shall take the jealousy offering out of the woman's hand, and shall wave the offering before the Lord, and offer it upon the altar. And the priest shall take an handful of the offering, even the memorial thereof, and burn it upon the altar. And afterward shall the cur- cause shall cause the woman to drink the water. And when he hath made her to drink the water, then it shall come to pass that if she be defiled, so if she was guilty, and have done the trespass against her husband, that the water that causeth the curse shall enter into her and become bitter, and her belly shall swell, and her thighs shall rot, and the woman shall be a curse among the people. And again, what that means, I don't know. But it doesn't sound like it's pleasant, and it doesn't sound like a good thing, and it's obviously supernatural. God's doing it. Verse 28, And if the woman be not defiled, but be clean, then she shall be free, and shall conceive seed. So if she wasn't defiled, she drinks the water, and she's fine. Nothing happens, and she just goes on her merry way. She's free, and she can conceive. She's a wife. She's a mother. So she is, is made free. This is the jealousy offering that is referred to here in, in the book of Numbers. So let's just, let me just give you some quick uh, applications real quickly. Uh, first of all, obviously, this shows us the seriousness of adultery. That God is against adultery, and, and adultery is a serious sin, and it's not something that any married people should ever even come close to. But this also shows us the seriousness of, of making sure that your spouse is secure. And, and let me just say this, you know, people can look at this and say, like, oh, well, this is against women. But honestly, like, in the ancient world... Oftentimes, women were not afforded much protection and, and, much, and, and, and a lot of rights. So this, yeah, could be negative towards a woman if she committed adultery and her husband has her do this and then her belly swells and her thigh rots. But this could also be protecting a woman if she just has some insecure husband who is constantly accusing her and she's just not doing anything wrong, but he's just insecure and petty. You know, well then then this could protect her because she'd be like, all right, let's go down to the priest then. Huh? Get the offering. I'm not scared. You drink the water. You know what I mean? So so this could be protection for a woman that is innocent as well. So don't look at this simply 
uh, as, as a negative thing. But, but, but here's the thing, though. Remember verse 18? And the priest shall set the woman before the Lord and uncover the woman's head. So even if she's innocent, she still has this shame of having her hair cut. It's obviously obvious to everyone what has happened and that her husband doesn't trust her. So what this is showing is that, look, you should never in marriage, you should never put yourself in such a place where your spouse is wondering about you and where they're suspecting and where they're insecure. You know, as, as married couples, we need to make sure that we go out of our way to make sure that our wife or your husband is secure yes. and doesn't have to question. Because in this situation, she got a haircut. Even if she was innocent, she got a haircut. So even if she was innocent, it was still a shameful thing. You understand what I'm saying? And look, let me just say this, because I always think it's funny when people, you'll have like some guy in a marriage or you'll have some teenager who just has some like really bad sin and they're not so distant past. And then they get accused of something and they're just like irate. I mean, I always think this is hilarious. Like they're just indignant. Like, how dare you? How dare you accuse me? Uh, maybe because you're a lying piece of garbage. That's how I dare. Maybe because you don't have a very good track record. Maybe because you've done a bunch of other stuff that makes me not trust you. So, so don't get this attitude. When someone accuses you of something doing heinous, it usually doesn't just come out of left field. It's usually because you've messed up and done some stupid things. So if your wife's accusing you and saying, like, you know, what's going on? Hey, you know, if you're innocent, say, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't do that or whatever. But it's always just funny to me when people, they've got some thing in their past and they're just indignant. Like, I can't believe. <laughs> like, let me, let me give you a cursed piece of water right now and see what happens. <laughs> so look, we, we need to make sure, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that even a child is known by his doings. And we need to make sure that we protect our own testimonies and that we become trustworthy and that we are trustworthy. And, you know, oftentimes the problem in marriage is that marriage is based off of trust and any relationship is based off of trust. And oftentimes men and women will break that trust and, 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 and not realize just the amount of damage that they have brought to their marriage when they've done that. So this is why God, God puts this in here because he's saying like, Look, yes, this will protect you if you're innocent, but if you're being accused, maybe you're doing something wrong. Maybe you're doing, maybe you're, you're not committing adultery, but maybe you're taking steps that are making your spouse be worried. And so we, on the other side, or you on the other side, or whatever, need to make sure that we're proactively not doing things. You know what the Bible says? Abstain from the appearance of evil. So even though this woman was innocent, even if she was innocent, there was still shame associated with the fact that she was being accused. And this protects her because if she had some husband that's just accusing her every, every week, you know, eventually the priest is going to put his foot down, right? He's going to be like, look, this is the third time this week, okay? Maybe you just need to stop being such a loser, okay? She's fine, all right? So, so don't look at this as a negative. This was definitely a negative for people that were committing adultery. But it was also there to protect the innocent. But just the fact that it had to be done was a kind of a shameful thing in general. Look at verse 29, and we'll finish up. Numbers 529. This is the law of jealousy. When a wife goeth aside unto another instead of her husband and is defiled, or when the spirit of jealousy cometh upon him, and he be jealous over his wife, and shall set the woman before the Lord, and the priest shall execute upon her all this law. 
Then shall the man be guiltless from iniquity, and this woman shall bear her iniquity. Let's bow our heads in our word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the word of God. And even these obscure chapters that are odd sometimes, um, there's things we can learn from them, and we appreciate um, the word of God, of course, always. I pray that you would bless our church and help us uh, to have a good week this week. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother RJ come up and lead us in a final song. just want to remind you that if you would like